Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're talking about money today. So if somebody invited you here and said, there's going to be food, it's going to be awesome. I'm sorry that they tricked you. Uh, but I do hope that today, as we're wrapping up this conversation, um, that it is uh, just really helpful for you, that you don't feel any pressure along the way. In fact, I do have these disclaimers that we've shared the past couple of weeks, that money, I know, is a tension-filled topic in church. Uh, nobody really signs up, like, yeah, give me three weeks to talk about managing my money at church. It's not, like, the most exciting highlight. It never comes back on the like sermon surveys of like, what was your favorite thing we talked about? Nobody ever says it's the money series, but Jesus talked about it a lot and it is a part of our lives. And we believe that Jesus uh, actually wants to intersect our story and inform and lead all of our lives, not just the religious churchy feeling parts of our lives. So that's one reason we're talking about it. Um, I've acknowledged that I'm not perfect in this area. So everything we're talking about, uh, I'm learning alongside you as well. And for where we're going today, I also just wanted to acknowledge that um, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you probably have some type of experience with what I'm going to talk about because we are going to touch on the idea of giving and generosity a bit today. And I just want to acknowledge that often the church gets really weird about generosity and about giving. And if you've had weird experiences in church uh, around generosity, number one, I'm sorry. And those experiences are valid and they're real. Uh, and it's a part of your story. But we're trying to actually talk about generosity in a way that really lines up with Jesus's heart. Uh, for all of us. So again, hopefully today, by the time we're done, you feel like, man, that was something for me and that was helpful. It's not like some kind of sales pitch wrapped up in religious language, because that's not what we're doing today. Uh, To recap where we've been on week one, we talked about how there's this cultural message that all of us are tempted to drift into uh, that says more is better, that, that we think that if we can get more, we should get more, that if we can grow stuff, we should. And not all of that's bad, right? It's good to have goals. It's good to move things forward. But if it like, takes hold of our hearts and it becomes our primary posture towards our stuff, it can be so toxic and so dangerous. It can make us exhausted and stressed and overwhelmed. And so on week one, we said there is a better posture that we can take. And it's this posture that actually understands that less is often more. That, that we can actually be content with less than we think. And, and often practicing that uh, actually helps us manage our money well and actually helps us feel free as it relates to our finances. And so we gave you three challenges. They're good challenges, even though we're a couple weeks removed from them. Uh, we said we should call out conforming whenever we're just kind of going with the flow and drifting into maybe spending habits that aren't all that intentional. It's just kind of what everybody else is doing. But we need to call that out that we can cut back on our consumption that might look like shopping at different places or shopping less often or just changing uh, the things that you're consuming because we can all get pulled into that trap of being consumers first. Uh, And then the last thing we said was to clear out the clutter, that often greed takes hold in our lives, not because we have big piles of money laying around, but because we have lots of stuff that we accumulate. And uh, just by way of update, the stack of books is still there but I did think about it yesterday. So that's progress. <laughs> okay, I saw him. I was like, maybe, maybe, t- no, not today. So we'll see. Maybe I have homework after uh, this week. But last week, um, we also, we talked about stress and that stress is often our primary reaction uh, to our finances, that uh, we gave you the very obvious bottom line that stress is bad. Uh, but we also talked about the reality of debt and just how overwhelming it can be. So we gave you two prayers that you can pray, which again, are always good things to ask. One is, God, help me make a plan So we talked about budgeting and what it might look like to actually have a plan for where your money goes. And then we said, God, please give me self-control because the plan is great, 
but sticking to the plan is what actually makes it a reality and makes progress in our lives. And so we just talked about the power of having that plan and sticking to it. Uh, Today, as we finish up, what I want to do is I want to give you a really, 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 really simple plan and simple overview of how you can actually approach your personal finances. And it is so simple, it might feel offensive. Okay, I have actually taught and talked about this model or this framework uh, that we're going to talk about to elementary school kids and high school kids and adults, college age. You know, I, I live by uh, this principle or try and live by this principle that we're going to talk about, but it's going to feel uh, so simple. So I, I, you're intelligent people, okay? I'm not trying to like dumb it down for you. But at the same time, I hope that what we're going to talk about is really practical and can help. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but as it relates to our money, there may be other categories that we could break this down further, but in general, there's basically five things that all of us can do with our money when, when we get it. There's one of five things that we can do. Maybe there's subcategories, but essentially there's these five things. You can spend it, right? And that we like that one, pretty good at that one. Uh, you can repay debt. So depending on how much you spent, you may have to keep spending to pay off debts. Uh, you can pay taxes, which Hopefully you're doing that, otherwise they will eventually find you, I've heard. Uh, you should say, or you could save your money, and you can give your money. Th- those are essentially the five things we can do with our money. We spend it, we repay debt, so we spend it again. Uh, we uh, pay taxes, we save, or we can give, and that's basically it. For, and for most of us Americans, this is not just the list of what we can do, but it's also the order in which we typically do it, right? We spend it when we get it. If we have to pay debt, we pay that down, Unfortunately, tax season comes around, it's like, oh no, and so you pay that. And then if there's anything left over, right, we save it away. And then if there's anything left over after that, we're like, oh, maybe I should be generous, right? I should give and I should uh, take care of people in my community or or an organization I care about or maybe the local church. But uh, let me run through this list one more time with maybe a slightly different spin on it. Okay, so we got spent. Number one, it's me. Number two, me. Number three, America. (laughs) Number four, back to me, and then by the time we get to another, number five, it's God and others, right? So, like, just, it's a little complicated, but it's, it's me, me, we, maybe, uh, me, and then others, and God, and that's kind of the way that our priority and the way that our lives are often organized by default. It's the way that we tend to spend and invest our money if we don't have a plan to do it any other kind of way, and the problem with this is if you're a Christian, where does that put God in the equation? He's at the very end. He's at the very leftovers. He's at, he's at like the afterthought level. God gets the leftovers, and if we haven't spent it all, and if we don't owe it all, and if the government doesn't take it all, and if I don't have to save it all for myself, then I can take care of other people, and then I can give to God, and then uh, I can you know, have what I need, and that's how we operate our lives typically. And the crazy thing about this dynamic is not only do many of us do this, uh, but on the other side of the equation, we are also the quickest to ask God for help when we need it. Right? So, so in the way we manage our money, often God is the afterthought, but in the way that we live our lives, when, when it gets real right, and there's a crisis, we are the first to be like, God, help me. <laughs> God, God, I need you. And, and so often what happens is we have this dynamic in our lives and in the way that we manage our resources that doesn't actually reflect our desire or our heart for what our relationship with God looks like. The, the reason I wanted to highlight that today and, and for where we're going, uh, I want you to understand as we're wrapping up this conversation that your posture towards your personal finances, that that your posture, your relationship with your money and with your stuff, it either represents an open door to your heavenly father or a closed door. It either either represents this open posture that you can have or a closed posture. And in the Old and New Testament, if you read through scripture, uh, you'll find like 
the fact that we have money to manage, and not just that we have money to manage, but the way that we prioritize, which is going to be kind of what we talk about today, the way that we prioritize our resources, you'll find again and again and again that it represents either an open door or a closed door to God. It's either an invitation in, or it's like, we'll kind of keep you at a distance and hopefully never get in trouble for it. Uh, the priority system that we looked at, right? It's me, me, we, me, God. That's a closed posture. It's a posture that puts God as an afterthought and at the very end. And so what I want to do together, um, we're going to look at basically two passages of scripture, one from the Old Testament and one from the New, that talk about uh, this dynamic of generosity, but really about ordering our lives and and talk about this idea of priorities. And and so the first thing that I want to look at together it's found in the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you like, nobody really brings physical Bibles to church anymore, but if you had one and you wanted to find it, it's really easy to find. You just like go in the middle and then go left and you'll probably be at Malachi because it's right at the end of the Old Testament. And uh, Malachi was a prophet and we've talked about prophets quite a bit. Prophets were people who basically had a message from God to the people of God. They would show up and as prophets often did, Malachi showed up to challenge the ruler of Israel at that time. He showed up to challenge the people and speak against their leadership. And essentially, what Malachi's message to the people of God was is that the people were giving God their leftovers. Right? Sound familiar based on that framework we just looked at? That that the people were giving their leftovers to God. And back then, um, it wasn't like dollar-dollar bills, y'all, but it was uh, this sacrificial system that they operated by, where where basically the way that people worshiped God is they were instructed to show up and to bring uh, the best sheep or the best of their animals or the best of their produce if they grew uh, fruits and vegetables or whatever, that they would bring their best to God first. It it was actually called the first fruits, right, because it came from the crop or or from uh, their livestock, that they would bring the very first and the very best offering to God. And, And Malachi looks at the way that the people of God are navigating the sacrificial system of their day. And Malachi essentially says, no, 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 you're not doing it right. right? You're, you're giving God your leftovers. And there's kind of even some funny language Malachi goes into where he's like, you're giving him like the worst sheep. You wouldn't even eat that sheep, right? Like the, it, it's the lame, gimpy little sheep. And you're bringing that to God and, and saying, here you go. Like, this is what I have. You're giving your leftovers. So this is a group of people who have upside down priorities. It, it's a group of people who would on that whole like, framework that we just looked at. They're doing the same thing. They're putting God very last. It's kind of an afterthought. Whatever we have left over, whatever we can spare, right, we'll give that. And, and so in Malachi 3.7, he says this, uh, on behalf of God speaking to the people, he says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Which again, if you ever read through the prophets or the Old Testament, you'll see that time and time again. Basically, God's people had this pattern uh, of like hearing from God and be like, God, you're amazing. We'll do whatever you say. And then like a couple months go by and then it's like, we didn't do anything you said. And so then a prophet shows up and it's like, you guys are getting it wrong. And then on and on and on this cycle goes. So here at the tail end of the Old Testament, Malachi saying, look for like generations, you guys have ignored what God has said. But God offers this invitation back. He says, return to me and I will return to you. That that if the people return to me, and I'll return to you, it's almost like this cause and effect language that God is using to the people. He says, if you return to me, then I'll return to you. And it's a little tricky in the language. Like, it's not like God had gone anywhere. God wasn't away on vacation. He didn't check out for a little bit. It's not like he was withholding his presence or something like that. God is still omniscient. He still knew everything that was happening. He was still aware. He was still present. But basically, Malachi is implying that in some kind of way, whether it was a physical way or or a tangible way or or certainly a relational way, 
that there was this distance between the people and God, and God was offering this invitation that says, hey, I want to move in your direction, but I want you to move towards me first. Right? That, that I would love to meet you where you're at, but I want you to meet with me too. That I want you to return to me, and if you do it, then I'll return to you. And so then the people go on. It's kind of like you get to see the nation of Israel's inner monologue as Malachi goes on, because he goes on and says, but you ask, how are we to return? Right? So God says, return to me. But the people are like, okay, how? And God responds to that question. And he's like, hey, will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. So God's kind of angry at this point, right? And once again, the people have this like inner monologue where they're like, well, but how do we rob you? He says, but you ask, how do we rob you? And then God spells it out crystal clear through the prophet Malachi. He says, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. And if you're like a church person or you've been around, this is like the point where the hair gets up on the back of your neck, right? Because you're like, oh no, he's going there, tithing and offerings and, and what is that? But really quickly, um, let me explain what that means and what a tithe was specifically to ancient Israel, specifically back then. So uh, if you've heard of a tithe, uh, typically that means 10% of something. It, it kind of cracks me up behind the scenes in pastor life. Sometimes people are like, hey, I forgot my tithe but like we processed the offering and all that stuff. So like I said, the dollar amounts, and I'm like, well, it's not a tithe. <laughs> if that's 10%, like we have a care ministry that we should like help you with. So that's just for free. But uh, a tithe, it, it means 10%. And for Jewish people in this particular time, when Malachi was around, this was like 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. So like 400 BC, uh, around that time, in ancient Israel, there was this model where there was actually a double tithe that people gave. So what they would do, they, they lived in this uh, agricultural society, and the idea was on a periodic basis, whether that was monthly or weekly or just whenever they received income from their work, they would bring 10% of their income back to the temple, and it would be this offering that essentially paid the priest and kept the sacrificial system going, and, and then some of it also would go back in the community and help people in need. So they brought 10%, and it was, kind of, it was almost like a religious tax, if you want to view it in that way, where they would bring that 10%, it would make sure the activity in the temple was still available and still continued, and then some of it went out to the community as well. So that was tithe number one. But they had a second tithe that God's people were instructed to do as well. Uh, and imagine this, like they were basically supposed to save up another 10%, and then one time a year, God's people would bring that additional 10%, they would save it up, and then they had like a big national party where everybody brought the 10% and offered it back to God to be this like huge celebration of how faithful God is to the people. So they would take their 10% and they would invest it in this like national feast and it was a big party and everybody celebrated. And uh, if that's not already complicated enough, right, you've got your regular 10% that you would give to the temple, you've got your like party 10% that you would do once a year. But on every third year, your party 10%, the big national celebration that they would give to you, uh, on every third year, uh, this party that would, or money that would typically go for this party would be actually distributed to all of the needy people in the community, uh, basically to the oppressed or to those who had debts or those who were in some way in need. On every third year, God's people would, instead of throwing the big party, they would distribute those resources and forgive debts. And it was called the year of Jubilee. It was this big celebration that would happen. So Back in those days, you gave 10% in an ongoing basis to the temple and, and to keep the priest alive and to make sure like the sacrificial system can go on. You gave another 10% either for that big party or every third year to distribute back out to the community. And, and something to remember is communities look different back then than they do for us. They, they were much smaller in those days and in some ways simpler. And so 
like if you can imagine us kind of living by that system today, it, it just seems like a nightmare. Like for the United States of America to take 10% of everybody's wealth and then throw a party, we could probably throw a pretty good party, right, if everybody actually did that. Uh, but it would just be so complicated. But back then, essentially, uh, the people knew that this was like what was expected, that, that they would give that 10% and then that they would have that celebration and they would keep it all going. And, and so when God says through Malachi, you've been robbing me of tithes and offerings, he's basically saying, you've been giving, that you've still been doing it, but not in the way that I've invited you to do. That, that giving is essentially no longer a priority to you. That, that, that I've become the bottom of the list, that, I, that I'm getting the leftovers, that you're not doing this the way that I've instructed you to do. And so he goes on, and he gets a little intense. God says through Malachi, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me, right? You're not putting me first, you're robbing me. And so God's upset about this. And then the next thing uh, that God says through Malachi, it's one of the most famous verses that, that's often quoted as it relates to this idea of tithing and as it relates to this idea of generosity. And I want to tease it out a little bit. Uh, but Malachi 3.10 says this, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. I have such a mixed bag relationship with this verse, to be honest, because I've, I've heard it used in churches in so many kind of wonky, sometimes manipulative kind of ways. So I, I want to speak to that in just a second. But basically, it's kind of tricky, right, with the context that the people have been, not been giving God uh, what God instructed them to do, they, that they've been giving God their leftovers. God says, hey, bring what you ought to in, right? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Uh, that there could be food in my house. And then he says, test me in this. And it's tricky because he's not saying, like Jesus says later, don't tempt the Lord your God or or don't test the Lord your God. And that's basically the idea when we say like, hey God, I've got an idea. If you love me, do it. (laughs) Like we're like, hey hey God, will you like do the thing that I want? And that's that's not what Malachi is saying here. Malachi is saying, look, God has promised to honor you if you honor him. God says, I'll return to you if you return to me. He says, if you move in my direction, I'll move in yours. And he's promised if you prioritize his kingdom and his deal, then he'll take care of you as well. And so he says to the nation, you haven't been doing that, but test me, right? My my promise is good. The thing that I'm saying is good. I'll actually show up Uh, because when we prioritize God financially, it's not actually about the finances, it's not actually about the stuff. It's not actually about the money. What God knows is it's a pathway to our heart. It's a pathway to our devotion. Before we hop off of this verse, uh, a couple of the wonky things, like I mentioned, this verse sometimes is used uh, to justify in the church what's known as storehouse tithing. The idea that like, if you're a Jesus follower, you're commanded by God to give 10% of your income back to the local church. And if you do it, that God will show up and he'll bless you like crazy. I'll probably talk about this in just a second, but for what it's worth, we can argue about this another time if you want. I don't believe that that's what this verse is actually about, right? This is God talking to the nation of Israel at a specific time in a specific place. And really, this is dangerous territory for a pastor who does receive an offering and like run a ministry and all that stuff. It's dangerous territory. But that idea of the tithe you kind of have to get, uh, I was going to use the word hermeneutical. It's kind of a big word. You kind of have to like take the scripture and like mold it in a really creative way to justify this idea that Christians are in any way called to a 10% tithe. And I know I probably shouldn't tell you that, right? Because the truth is like, 
if I was to teach tithing as like 10%, that's the standard. Like some churches, I mentioned church baggage earlier. Some churches take this so far that they'll like ask you to submit your W-2, like the tax document that you get, uh, in order to be a member there so that you can check, like did you really give your 10%? And that's not the heart of God, okay? That's certainly not the heart of this church. And I'm getting a little bit on a side box, uh, soapbox here. Uh, but the point is that it's not about the amount, okay? But God, in this moment, and God to us today, he's challenging us to be generous, but he says the reason is that where your money goes often reveals where your heart is. That, that often our finances reveal our devotion. It reveals the path of our heart. And so God's saying like, hey, I'm moving in your direction and I want you to move in mine so that we can meet one another. But often we hear this and we think, okay, somebody wants my money. <laughs> okay, here comes the ask. But God's saying, this isn't about the money, it's about your heart. God's saying, I want to be number one in your life, and that includes your financial planning. That, that includes that aspect of life as well, because God knows what Jesus actually says, that your heart follows your money. That, that if you want to find out what you really love in life, follow the trail of your money, and it will reveal where your devotion actually is. And, and so God says, hey, I want you to move in my direction. And they go, how do we do that? And he says, then put me first financially. And God says, I want to bless you. And they're like, well, how are you going to do that? And he says, well, first prioritize me. Because again, it's not about money. It's about priority. It, it, it's not about money. It's about what and who we're putting first in our life. And God is essentially telling the people then, and he's telling us today, I don't want to be number five or seven on your list. I, I, I want to be first in your life because I want to be in and involved in every aspect of your life. And if you read the New Testament, right, the Jesus half of the Bible, uh, nothing could be more clear that, than that God wants to move in our direction if we move towards him. It's kind of where the whole thing starts. Remember just a couple of months ago, we celebrate Christmas, and that's when Jesus arrives in the middle of our mess. God sends his son, his very presence, like God in a body, into the midst of the human mess because God wants to move in our direction, and he starts to take care of our eternity in that way, but he sends his son as this model and this directive of what our lives can actually look like of what it looks like to, to fully devote our lives to him. And he sent his son as this illustration of God's grace and mercy to us. And so the question is, are we going to throw open our lives? Are we going to open that door to make him a priority in light of the way that he's moved towards us? This is how Jesus said it uh, in Matthew chapter 6. It's one of Jesus' most famous teachings. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And isn't it interesting? Like you would think that he might say you cannot serve both God and the devil, but that's not where he goes. He says you cannot serve both God and money because Jesus knows that there's this conflict for all of us, that there is a constant conflict for your heart and that nothing will compete more for your devotion than your stuff, than your money. And he knows that, again, as your money goes, so your heart goes, that it reveals what you value most. And so Jesus is saying that if you want me to be the leader and the master and the ruler over your whole life, that includes this area too. It's actually kind of interesting. Uh, in the original language, it's translated for us as you cannot serve both God and money. But the original language, uh, Jesus used the term mammon for money, which was actually a deity or a God that was associated with money back in those days. So he's actually saying like, you can't make me and money your God, right? Somebody's going to sit in that number one place in your life and in your heart. And so, like, it's kind of easy for us to put God first in our prayer life, 
right? But most of us, if we pray, we, we just pray to God and like we do it in quiet. Nobody really knows about it. So it's kind of easy to do that. Uh, it's, you showed up today, right? Sometimes that's good, but it's kind of easy to do, right? Because you even kind of get credit and sometimes you get snacks and all that good stuff. Uh, it's really hard to put God first in the area of our money, in the area of our personal finances. It's kind of countercultural and kind of unnatural. But Jesus goes on. Jesus goes on because he knows, right, that when we're talking about even the things we've talked about these past few weeks, right, what can you live on? Can you lower your consumption level a little bit? Do you have a plan for the things that you need and how you're going to manage your resources? Jesus knows that we do have real needs, that, that managing our money is a real part of our lives. And in fact, in this same conversation, just a few verses later, Jesus goes on and says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus is acknowledging, like, you need to eat, right? you, need, you need to drink, you need to wear stuff. Like, you have stuff, you have needs in life, and he's like, I get that, okay? But, but if you spend all of your energy and all your time putting me first and prioritizing in that way, he's basically saying, you're just like everybody else. It's another way that we conform. It's like you're just going with the flow. You might as well be one of the pagans, is what Jesus is saying, but your heavenly Father knows what you need. Your heavenly Father knows what you need, and then Jesus tags on a promise to the end of this conversation. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things, these things that we worry about, will be given to you as well. In other words, if you put God first in this area of your life as well, all the rest of it will be taken care of. And again, not in like some weird, tricky, manipulative way, okay? He's not saying, if you give 10%, then you'll get tenfold back or whatever. This isn't like the televangelist portion of Story Church, where like, sometimes, again, people have used verses like that in that kind of bait-and-switch way, but I don't necessarily believe that if you offer your whatever back to God, that if you put God first in your finances, that that means you're going to grow wealthy monetarily. But what I do believe is what Jesus said, that if you seek first God's kingdom in your whole life, then all the rest of the stuff we think we need and the thing we worry about in some way will be taken care of as well. Essentially what Jesus is saying to us is that we should turn our lives upside down, right? We, we tend to spend and pay down debt and pay our taxes and maybe save, and then if there's anything left over, maybe give. Jesus is saying flip that script. What, what if you turn that upside down and what if you seek me first? Because it's not about the money. It's about seeking God first with all of your life and the sense of peace that you'll get knowing that God is leading the way and that God will take care of everything else you need as well. Like, what if you actually gave and saved and then paid your taxes because you should do that and then lived on the rest? Right? Here's the system that I said, it's kind of offensive, like offensively obvious, okay, offensively simple. I almost like put buckets out, but I felt like you get it, right? But what if you organized your life as it relates to money, right? With the idea of the freedom that God wants for us in view through this principle of give, save, and then live. But if you give first, you save second, because that's important too, and then you live on the rest. You invest in God's kingdom first, that's give. You invest in you, that's save. And then you live on the rest, whatever that looks like. And, and listen, I, again, I get like in this conversation, you might be like, yeah, of course you say that, pastor, right? Go on your vacation. Like, the church just wants my money. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. And in fact, if you want to test me in this or test us in this, 
I want you to give first, but don't give it here, right? Don't, don't give it here because it's not about the money and I'm not pushing you to like 10% tithe and I'm not going to ask for your W-2 or anything like that. It, it's about the posture of your heart. So if you're like, oh, this church just wants my money, we don't. Give somewhere else, but give first, right? Find a, an organization in this community that's doing good work, that you think they're bringing God's kingdom to bear and give to them or, or you know, give directly to people in need, or whatever it looks like. But the, the point is to organize our lives by saying, I'm going to put God first and others first in my priorities. I'm going to invest in me too. I'm going to save because that's wise to do. And then I'll live on the rest. As you think in this way, this is what I think can be helpful to do. It's to think in those three buckets, not in terms of dollars, but in terms of percentages, Right, to think in terms of like how we're going to organize. And here's what I know about every one of us in the room, okay? I know two things about us. I know one thing, and I assume a second thing. Uh, the one thing that I know is all of us live on a percentage of our income. They're, all of us are living on some percentage of our income. The thing that is probably true of most of us is most of us have no idea what it is. Right? We're all living on a percentage of the money that we bring in. But most of us have never sat down and like actually defined what percentage is that? Is it 80? Is it like 99 and we're just going to push the limit? Or are we like really conservative? Most of us don't actually know, but all of us live on a percentage of our income. The power of this prioritizing, the power of this system is you can actually know. You can actually pre-decide. This is the percent I'm going to choose to give. This is the percent I'm going to save. And then I'm going to live on the rest. For me and for my family for a long time, because uh, I did get started in ministry at a church that did teach 10% tithing. And so I was like, okay, we'll do that. Uh, give, it's a little over 10% now, but we hover around that 10% area. Save, I was just like, let's just match it. Okay, so, so there's another 10%. And for a very, very long time, uh, my family has operated trying to live off of 80% of what comes in. So it, 10, 10, 80 is a good starting point. Maybe if 10, like giving 10%, you're like, that's crazy. That's okay. It could be 1%. It could be a fraction of a percent if you need. But the point is to prioritize and to decide, and in so doing, you actually put first the kingdom of God. You, you actually organize your life in a way that invites God in. And here's the point as well. If you don't choose, somebody will choose for you. Right? If you don't choose what percentage of your income you're giving or, or what percentage of your income you're living off of, somebody else will. And it may be whoever's marketing to you and whatever you know gets that Amazon cart opened up for you. I, like, Somebody will decide, but what if you decided on purpose? What if you decide, seeking financial freedom, right? What if you decided, I'm going to let my behaviors actually line up with the things I say that I value, and I am going to seek first God in his kingdom by giving and then saving and then living on a percentage that I've pre-decided, that I'm going to give a percentage first, I'm going to save a percentage second, and I'm going to live on the rest. This isn't about the money. Okay, it's not about the dollar amount even. In fact, there's a story in Jesus' life where uh, Jesus and his followers are hanging out at the temple, and they're just kind of observing the activity of the temple, that whole sacrificial system and the tithe and stuff was happening. And they saw people come, and they saw people go, and they would you know, kind of give, kind of in the way Malachi was describing, they would give a little from their leftovers and throw into the offering plate. And then there's this woman who shows up, and she is a widow. It's called the story of the widow's might sometimes. She's a widow who clearly does not have much, but she goes up to that altar with, with confidence and throws in what little she has. And Jesus is observing it, right? He's seen larger amounts getting thrown in that plate, but he sees this woman and he tells his followers this in Mark chapter 12. He says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. 
because it's not about the dollar amount to Jesus. It's about the posture of the heart. It's about the priority, right? And he's looking at this widow who gave very little in terms of the amount, and he says that counts more than all of the leftovers that all the other religious people were just kind of throwing by as their last priority. Because the point is that God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And he knows that your money is going to be the chief competitor for your heart. And so Jesus calls us, seek him first. Just as a sidebar as well as we're wrapping up here, if you're a parent or a grandparent, if you have kids in your life, this is very elementary, okay? Like give, save, live. It's very simple. One of the most powerful things you could do is start your kids living this way early. But we haven't really ran it yet with Eden because she doesn't exactly have much of an income. But like <laughs> once you start getting into like the chores phase and, and maybe they're doing odd jobs and making some money, like it is so powerful. If you can model this early for your kids, but also teach them like, hey, you made 10 bucks, that's amazing. What if one goes in the give jar, one goes in the save jar, and then there's your eight bucks, go get something cool, right? Like such a powerful habit. And the earlier you can develop it, the easier it is to live out of it. And, and so I'd challenge just all of us, what if with financial freedom in view, with wanting to honor God, not just with like the religious seeming aspects of our life, but with our whole lives, what if we actually did this? Like, can you imagine what it would look like? It blows my mind, honestly, being around the church for a while, the church in America specifically. It blows my mind sometimes to think about the untapped resources in the kingdom of God just because we haven't done this. Right? The number of, and I'm not saying like to go build big church buildings or whatever, just the problems we could solve, right? The, the people we could be, the, the light of the world that we could shine if we were just willing to do this simple exercise of saying, I'm going to seek God's kingdom first. I'm going to prioritize him first. I'll save because that's wise to do. And then I'll limit the part that I'm living on. When this becomes number one for you, you'll see it too. Okay, you see this stuff differently. I think it's part of what Jesus was getting at. When he says, if you seek me first, the rest will take care of itself. So what if we actually did it? What if we were actually people who prioritized God first, not only in our religious lives, but in our financial lives as well? Let me pray for you to that end. God, um, it's another one it's easy to talk about. It's hard to live out. But God, I just pray for my friends here today who are maybe, they're open to it. They're curious. They're like, you know what? I do want to make a plan. Give them the courage to actually sit down, maybe with their checking account open or their budget in front of them or whatever it may be, and give them the courage to pre-decide the percentage they want to give, the percentage they want to save, and the percentage that they want to live on. Give them clarity. Give them commitment to follow through on it. And God, as your people right here in Peru, may we model this way. May we model it through our own lives. May we model it for our kids, that we could be people who practice extravagant generosity because of our confidence in who you are and how you want to use us. So God, I just pray that you would make our next steps clear and that you would lead us as we leave this place. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.